Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the CV Sports Podcast. I am your host, Chris. Man, a lot of crazy things have happened over the weekend, and a lot of interesting news, and a lot to talk about. So let's hop straight into it. But first off, I have a big thing to say right about this, and this was trending all over Twitter. It was all over uh, social media when this happened. First of all, WWE just had their pay-per-view, the Royal Rumble. Yes, I do watch the WWE. It's very interesting. I've liked it since I was a kid. But my favorite wrestler, the American Nightmare, Cody Rhodes, trending all over Twitter worldwide on Saturday. They He has officially won the 2023 Royal Rumble match. That's right. The American Nightmare is going to WrestleMania. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because, like I said, it was all over Twitter. It was some of the biggest news of Saturday on top of some other things we're going to be going into. But he did win the Royal Rumble for... The pay-per-view and also uh, other news that trended on Twitter about WWE is the Roman Reigns, the wrestler and his little faction that he started, might be breaking up going into WrestleMania. If any of you saw the match, one of his partners, Sammy, turned on him and then his cousin walked out of the ring, leaving everyone in question what's going to happen going to WrestleMania. And it was just all, like I said, it was all over Twitter. Twitter. It was all. It was the biggest shock that it, no one really saw coming. And all I have to say is that's great storytelling. That was a great way to set up what's going to happen going into the future with WWE and Roman Reigns. I know a lot of people were expecting maybe The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, to go back to WrestleMania to face Roman, which is his family member. And I kind of figured he didn't just because Roman, uh, not Roman Reigns, The Rock has a really weird schedule. He obviously does movies now, and his schedule is very hectic. It's not very flexible with what WWE wants to do. But I'm happy they kind of went in this direction. And this is just a good example of just taking your time with the story and a great example of just setting up everything perfectly. So congrats to Triple H on that one and the great, and a great Royal Rumble show. But I'm excited to see what's going to happen on the road to WrestleMania. I'm very excited for my man, Cody Rhodes. I got his shirt on for today's episode. I also got some of his stuff in the back. But if you guys are listening to this on Amazon Music or on Spotify, I'm wearing Cody Rhodes' shirt and along with some stuff of Cody Rhodes in the back. If you watch this on YouTube, you can clearly see it. But let's move on to the next thing. Another big topic that came up over the weekend. Stenson Bennett, quarterback, two-time national champion winner, back-to-back national champion winner, was arrested in Dallas on a misdemeanor of public intoxication. And the big thing for me is that that's pretty big news coming out of Stenson Bennett, especially if he's going to the NFL draft. Now, I know a big thing with Stenson is that he's not very... He's not very high on a lot of people's draft boards this year just because C.J. Stroud is there. Bryce Young is probably going to be the first quarterback to get taken off. Will Levis from Kentucky, the, the quarterback from uh, from Florida, and a couple others might get drafted before him. So I kind of see Stenson Bennett not going very high in the draft anyways. The only issue I really have with what happened with Stenson Bennett is that if he is going to get drafted, it might hurt him a little bit just because not a lot of NFL owners want to see their – quarterback that they're going to get drafted get arrested especially under uh, a misdemeanor of public intoxication because that's that's just a kind of a character concern in my opinion it's probably what a lot of uh draft analysts like mel kuyper and others are going to probably look into especially going in the dra- going into the draft process if he does decide to go either to the combine or anything like that or his pro day i think he i think he said that he was going to stay in dallas to train for his pro day and get ready for the draft process but this does kind of hurt i mean you never want to see your quarterback ever end up on news for something that bad especially uh going all over the place and especially being well known i think is the worst part of it all is that stenson bennett is a well-known uh uh person all over you know the sports world you know like i said back-to-back national champion winner 
uh, for Georgia. He, you know, had a lot of success uh, success in his time in the NCAA, and now hopefully moving on to the NFL. And now he he may I don't think he won't go undrafted. I just don't think he's gonna get drafted high. Anyways, I think he'll probably go like in the fourth round or the fifth. I don't think he'll fall out, but I think with this uh, story coming up about him being arrested is definitely going to hurt him a little bit just because of the fact that, especially now with what happened with Brock Purdy and maybe a lot of organizations are going to look into finding that, you know, that, that diamond in the rough, like the San Francisco did with Brock Purdy or... Uh, and to an extent, what the Cowboys did with Dak Prescott and Tony Romo, what New England did with Tom Brady, a bunch of different examples. And they're definitely going to probably keep an eye on that because you never know if Stinson Bennett might be good in the NFL or not. But now with this kind of coming up, we are just have to see what the organizations are going to want to do and what they're going to want to go about with Stinson Bennett. The big thing that came to my head whenever this all happened was what happened with Baker Mayfield when he got drafted and the video kind of arised uh, with him getting arrested in Arkansas. And I believe one of the owners he met with, I believe it was the Browns owner, he asked him, what did you think? What do you think of food trucks? And it's because in the video, he got arrested in front of a food truck and the, he kind of laughed and kind of explained like his side of the story and what happened. And they went from there and he still got drafted number one overall, which was good for him. Um, but in any case, Stenson Bennett, he's, he, he did get arrested and we'll just have to wait and see what's going to happen with him in the draft process. Next up, some other big news that happened in the NFL. The salary cap has been increased to uh, $224.8 million. So that means the franchise tag will be increasing. The biggest one that I noted is the quarterbacks. For the franchise tag, if you franchise tag your quarterback, it'll be $34 million. And the reason why I highlight the quarterback is because of Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. It was not a surprise the salary cap was going to go up this year. It, it wasn't. Everyone kind of expected the salary cap to go up. I didn't think it was going to go up by 16.4, I believe, million dollars compared to this past year. But that's a big increase. And now, especially in the world we live in with quarterbacks wanting to get, you know, big, big time paydays or, you know, superstar uh, athletes that want to get the giant paydays, like probably um, to name not quarterbacks, it's probably going to be Josh Jacobs. Jamar Chase coming up, Micah, Micah Parsons, you know, within next year, CeeDee Lamb's probably going to want a contract as well, just to name a few. And now with the increase in the salary cap, number one, it does make more room for owners. But the issue you're going to run into is that more players are probably going to want more money. So it's just you're going to have to be careful. And what I highlight with the Baltimore Ravens is that if they want to franchise tag Lamar Jackson, they got to do it now. At least Lamar will get at least some some guaranteed money. He will get some kind of good payment, at least for the season. And then if they want to debate if they want to keep him or not, they at least they have a quarterback set going into 2023. But, I mean, three, you know, $34 million does, you know, does kind of hurt on the salary cap. That's kind of why a lot of teams try not to get the, the franchise tag too much because especially if the salary cap keeps increasing and increasing, that, that franchise tag is only going to get bigger and bigger. And if you keep franchise tagging your player at that point, you might as well have just given him, uh, given that player all the money that they wanted because they're going to get that either way or they're going to get more, which is definitely a bigger concern. Now, different positions have different estimates. It's just I highlight a quarterback um, solely because of Lamar Jackson and what's going on with him in Baltimore and kind of like the stalemate that they're at right now, especially with Greg Roman being fired, as I talked about in the last episode, and just kind of like what they're going to do with that. And we'll, like I said, we'll have to see what the Baltimore Ravens are going to have to are going to decide with Lamar if they're going to trade him or not. I don't think they're going to trade him. It's just they got to figure something out because the salary cap is only going to get bigger, and the more you franchise tag, 
Lamar Jackson, the more you're just going to have to end up paying him either way. So kind of get a long-term deal out right now and get, you know, get Lamar Jackson his money before the franchise tag starts hurting the organization. And you probably can't pay other players because of the, you know, because the franchise tag has taken up so much, uh, taking a little bit of the salary cap and they can't bring in other people. So that's what I have to say about the salary cap increasing. Next up. So I did see this uh, earlier today that the Pro Bowl, uh, I believe Josh Allen dropped out of the Pro Bowl and they had to bring in new quarterbacks for the AFC team. They brought in Trevor Lawrence, Derek Carr, and uh, Tyler Huntley, the backup quarterback for the Ravens. My first thing is that, wow, the AFC does not have any good quarterbacks outside of the four, which is Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson, and Josh Allen. After that, they really didn't have any other good quarterbacks because Derek Carr got picked and he had a horrible season. He did not have the best. He was tied for second um, in interceptions at the end of the season. He got benched. He left. And he still made a Pro Bowl. So... That is pretty big. And then another big thing I thought was interesting was giving Tyler Huntley a Pro Bowl selection just because Tyler Huntley did not play the whole season. And even when he did play, it wasn't like the Baltimore Ravens went on this giant run where they were unstoppable or they were going to be the team to beat in the playoffs. No, they were still pretty average, if not a little bit more below average, because they did not have their unanimous MVP, Lamar Jackson, playing. And that's what I found really interesting with that is because he he did he did his job. Don't get me wrong. As a backup quarterback, you have to at least keep the team afloat. He did do that because he got him into the playoffs. That's not what I want to dispute here. What I had the issue was is that you know don't don't reward Tyler Huntley just because he played for the Ravens and he kind of got them to the playoffs because they did not do good in the playoffs. They got eliminated in the first round. Now, if Tyler Huntley went on this big old run and they ended up almost getting you know they they were able to get the second seed or the third seed and knock off the Cincinnati Bengals off the pedestal then I think we'd be having another conversation but that's not what happened here and I believe he got hurt in the game too so they had to bring in the third string quarterback so it's not like he played the whole time either way either so I thought it was a little interesting about him getting picked for a Pro Bowl I think it's just because they were running out of people and they had to just go with whoever was left because like I said they brought in Derek Carr for a Pro Bowl and he didn't play that good. So that that's just very interesting in my opinion. I do think it was good that they brought in Trevor Lawrence. He was kind of one of the bigger surprises in Jacksonville this year with Doug Peterson. He was probably one of the most improved players compared to last season with Urban Meyer not being there. And they had to kind of figure it out on the fly. And Trevor Lawrence's first two years in the, in the league were definitely not the best. But this year was kind of a turnaround and a good direction into the future for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And definitely Trevor Lawrence is going to be their, quarter, uh, their franchise quarterback. So I'm glad that he at least kind of got a Pro Bowl selection. And now with Derek Carr getting picked, I mean, like I said, I think it's just they were running out of quarterbacks at this point to put in to the into the Pro Bowl. So they kind of had to just go with what they had. And kind of the sadder thing is that the Pro Bowl isn't doesn't really matter to a lot of uh, like fans or players anymore. All it is is you get like a bonus for going and playing in a game. I do, however like the idea of what they're doing this year they're doing flag football they're, they're literally gonna make it fun i believe uh peyton and eli are coaching the teams and first of all i love peyton and eli on monday night football they're hilarious and i do like their kind of their different take of it they interview different players like they they even said in their description of the show it's like two guys having a beer watching a football game and that's exactly what i get out of it so i'm definitely excited to see what they're gonna do coaching a fun flag football game and also the the skills the skill showcase that they hold during the week for the pro bowl is definitely as i think something very like unique i think that they're doing especially since it's now like a little more uh rigorous 
uh, kind of drills and stuff like that. So I think it definitely showcases a lot of the pro bowlers skills, like the quarterbacks. I believe one year they did like a quarterback throwing competition and they put in the wide receivers in just to make it fun. So I do like that the NFL is taking that approach of making the pro bowl fun. Now, it, not a lot of people will take it serious. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I mean, I even I didn't take it super serious. I thought it was a cool thing to watch. They make really cool jerseys for the Pro Bowl players. But other than that, I mean, really, there's there's not much they're gaining out of it. They're just getting an extra paycheck for making the Pro Bowl. So, I mean, that's my opinion on what the Pro Bowl is. But I am kind of excited to see what Peyton and Eli are going to do. I believe Snoop Dogg and Pete Davidson are also going to be coaching. Uh, so that that's going to be an interesting combination of coaches coaching these and uh, you know kind of handling all these NFL players coming in so we're so hopefully they have a great time I believe it's in Vegas again this year so you know hats off to all the pro bowlers that got selected that are all going to be going this year and hope you all have a lot of fun and you know an extra check for uh, top of the end of the season doesn't help doesn't hurt anybody so next up next topic is coaching news a lot of coaching uh hires a lot of firings I'm gonna start off with the obvious one here Kellen Bohr and the Dallas Cowboys mutually agreed to part ways with each other and not even 24 hours later not even 24 hours later he gets hired with the la chargers to be their offensive coordinator so i'm gonna start with kind of the dallas cowboys side of it and like my fan appear uh approach to it i did not think kellen moore was a bad coach i really don't if you look at kind of the the statistics of what happened his first four his four years uh running the offense for the dallas cowboys they finished second in yards and points. They were only behind Kansas City uh, and Patrick Mahomes. So they weren't far behind. Even, I think, the one bad year that they had in offense where they were ranked 17th was when Dak Prescott got hurt and he broke his ankle in the 2020 season and Andy Dalton had to come in and Ben DiNucci had to come in and it was, it was just a mess of a year. That was the only time he really had a bad season on offense. All the other years he coached, they were top five or they were number one, number two. They were top three in offense. Overall, in the four years that he coached, they were number two on in offense that his whole tenure. Now, what do I think this is all about? I think obviously I think one of the things is that this is a scapegoat for Dak Prescott. Just because he didn't play good, obviously it's hard to get rid of your quarterback that you're paying a lot of money for it's hard to move on from him or at least try to get a trade for him because you're gonna see a lot of organizations may not want Dak Prescott or may not want to take on his contract so we're definitely running into that problem so it's just easier to let go of an offensive coordinator but when the offensive coordinator is Kellen Moore who's actually kind of creative I did like some of the plays that he called or some of the creative schemes that he ran like running speed options on the fourth and inches, using Dak's legs as an advantage against def against you know different defenses. The only issue I really had with his offense was that sometimes it was a little predictable. There were times in the offense where you he was very run heavy first, but I think that was due to the fact that Jerry Jones was having his say in what he wanted the offense to look like. Like he wanted to give uh, Ezekiel Elliott the ball more than Tony Pollard, even though Tony Pollard was producing more and doing better on carries and yards and touchdowns than Ezekiel Elliott. Tony Pollard got a Pro Bowl selection, and it took this long to realize we should probably give the ball to Tony Pollard instead of Ezekiel Elliott, who has been on a really drastic decline over the past few years uh, after his contract that he got after holding out in Cabo. And Jerry Jones still wanted him to get the ball, which is fine. You're, you're paying the running back that much money, but you're also limiting the offense. So I think that was like another thing that was going on 
and that's why Kellen Moore always started Ezekiel Elliott and always try to run the ball with Zeke as much as he can, even though Zeke is like a shell of himself, and we're seeing it. And a big thing that I think somebody talked about, I think it was Shannon Sharp on his show Undisputed, was that don't be surprised if things are not working. Like, like if the offense is going to be – if offense struggles, I believe Mike McCarthy is going to start the play call, which we'll get to him uh, after a couple more coaching uh, decisions that have been made, and I'll give my opinion on that one in a bit. Now that he's gone, and if our offense still struggles, who do we who are we gonna blame? Is it gonna be Dak? Is it gonna be Mike McCarthy getting the boot? It's just there's I think we're it's coming up as a, either a pattern or it's gonna be a real slippery slope heading down, and that's definitely not what we want. And now with Kellen Moore kind of being you know he mutually agreed to part ways with the Dallas Cowboys, it's just it was just evident that it, they may not work out, especially if if Mike McCarthy was gonna stay. In my opinion, I'd rather keep Kellen Moore just because he can run the offense, and Mike McCarthy really didn't do much, and there were times where he didn't help with time management. So it's just it's just gonna it's just kind of hurts the Dallas Cowboys on our end, just because we're losing our our play caller who helped Dak and that offense be top three overall in the past few years, except for the 2020. And being the number two offense in the past four years, he coached, and also like he he was the reason why they had such big games like against Tampa Bay. You know, Dak Prescott had a phenomenal game, and it was true because we saw it. He had about four five, about four to five touchdowns in that game, and that was against a really bad Tampa Bay team. And then whenever they went to San Francisco, Dak Prescott struggled, and it's because he threw bad interceptions. It wasn't that the schemes were super horrible. I think the like I said, the predictability was that. Ezekiel Elliott getting the ball since Tony Pollard got hurt in the San Francisco game. But it's also Dak Prescott not making the plays he needs to make. And I believe that that's probably where the most of the, the issue was stemming from. And along with that's that's what's going to hurt the Dallas Cowboys going into the future. But for the Chargers, for the LA Chargers, this is a big help. Uh, Brandon Stange is not going anywhere anytime soon. I think that the LA Chargers have made that clear that he is not going anywhere. But now... With Kellen Moore coming in and running that good of an offense in Dallas, and the past four years, like I said, he was a number two in offense behind Kansas City. Now he's working with Justin Herbert, who's younger, uh, who's a younger quarterback with a little bit more of a higher ceiling than Dak has right now. Austin Eckler, who's a really good running back. Keenan Allen, one of the top wide receivers in the NFL, along with Mike Williams. It's gonna be interesting. So I'm a, I'm gonna be a little nervous for. Kansas City right now because now they're gonna have a, their work a little bit more cut out with the LA Chargers in their division, as, and especially with uh, Sean Payton coming in, which I'll get to him next. And the the Chargers have they're gonna have a lot of expectation going into next season. They hired a good uh good offensive coordinator that you know can be creative. He can work with what he what he has, and he has a lot of tools going into LA. So probably building up a little bit more of that offense. They're going to probably be one of the top offenses in the league. I don't know if they'll be better than Kansas City just because Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy uh create up a great scheme for Patrick Mahomes and that offense. So, we'll have to wait and what's going to happen going into the next season, but that's uh, the Chargers fans be excited because Kellen Moore is going to help Justin Herbert, especially how much they struggled in offense in some games where they just couldn't move the ball or Justin Herbert uh they only had like two kind of things for Justin Herbert was either uh, dump the ball down low or pass it over the top. But now a little bit more creativity from with Kellen Moore coming in, it's going to definitely help the LA Chargers. Next up on the coaching news, Sean Payton makes his return to the NFL. That's right. Sean Payton, former head coach for the New Orleans Saints, took a year off of coaching, is now back with not the New Orleans Saints. 
He is going to Denver. He is going to the Mile High City with Russell Wilson. The Saints tra uh, uh, traded. I thought they they uh, he signed with them, but he, they traded away Sean Payton because I believe they own they kind of still owned uh, Sean Payton in his contract. They traded him away for a first round pick and I believe a second round pick at to Denver. You know, for Sean Payton and Den the Denver Broncos, uh, all it is is positive news for them. You know, because one of the biggest disappointments this season was Russell Wilson and that offense not being able to run. Nathaniel Hackett not doing well as a head coach. There was a lot of negatives going into the Denver Broncos, especially with Russell Wilson, who got a big-time contract with Denver and an extension on top of that. It's just now with Sean Payton coming in, we have to keep in mind Sean Payton is not a is not uh, Nathaniel Hackett. When he had Drew Brees, he turned Drew Brees into a four-time runner-up for MVP. He won a Super Bowl. He's gone to the Super Bowl. Whenever he had Taysom Hill, he went five and two. When he had Teddy Bridgewater, they, I believe they went five and zero oh with Teddy Bridgewater. When Jameis Winston came in, they went I think five and two or five and zero oh with Jameis Winston. And that was after the season. Jam uh, and that was after Jameis Winston threw thirty touchdowns to thirty to thirty interceptions. He had the he had that thirty for thirty season. So if anyone could help Sean, uh, Russell Wilson and turn around that offense, it's gonna be Sean Payton. There's no one else more perfect for that offense. The only the only real concern I really have is how much that the Denver Broncos have given up in the past two years. They gave up a lot of draft picks. They gave up, I believe, two first rounders and something and a third rounder for Russell Wilson, along with Noah Fant and Drew Locke. And now they gave up another first round pick for Sean Payton, and I believe a a second round pick for Sean Payton as well. And all they got back was a third in Sean Payton, which is still a good a good swap in my opinion, but it's also like my concern is that they're not going to have much of a future if they don't get their number ones back or if they start trading away some of their players, maybe, but kind of giving up a lot of draft capital for Russell Wilson and now for Sean Payton, it's definitely going to start, you're going to start noticing maybe some issues, maybe in youth wise or probably have to go to free agents most of the time, at least to kind of build up that draft capital back and over the next couple of years. But congratulations to Sean Payton. He is going to be coaching. He's back and we are excited to see it. All I know is that that division just got a whole lot harder for Kansas City now with Sean Payton coming back and probably reviving Russell Wilson's career. Kellen Moore going to the Chargers and probably helping out Justin Herbert even more. And we're still waiting to see what's going to be the quarterback. Who's going to be the quarterback for Las, for the Las Vegas Raiders? It might be Tom Brady. It might not be. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna have to, you know, kind of sit on that one and wait for it. Next up, Demarco Ryan, the defensive coordinator for the 49ers, after the loss this past weekend, he is going to be the new head coach for the Texans. Congratulations, Demarco Ryan. And I'm very excited because he did run the best uh, the best uh, defense in the NFL in San Francisco. He did an amazing job there, and I'm very excited. The Texans need kind of a, a younger coach with a lot of energy. That's what uh, Ryan can do, and especially with who's coming in soon, they're going to probably draft, like I said, Bryce Young in the first round and maybe try to get some more help. Now, I don't think they're going to be like the hottest team going into next season. I don't. But they are in a little bit of a weaker division. So give it a couple years, and then the Texans might be pretty good. You know, get some draft picks, get some free agents in there, uh, kind of build that team. And then probably the next couple years, that Texans team is going to be really good with uh, with uh, Ryan coming in. And definitely the big loss is to the 49ers because without him setting up the defense the way that they were able to play this year, it's going to be a little bit of a struggle 
for the 49ers to find a new defensive coordinator that was just as good as Ryan was. And and on top of that, like we're going to have to see like what they're going to want to do because I know there's a lot of issues going on right now with the 49ers with Brock Purdy and who's going to be quarterback and now with the defensive coordinator leaving. All I have to say, though, is that they have Nick Bosa, they have Fred Warner, Arik Armstead. They have some talent on that defense. I think they'll be fine. It's just going to depend on who's going to be the next coordinator. But congratulations to you, DeMarco Ryan, for getting the head coaching job with the Texans. Next up, now I'm going to get to this one. Uh, Mike McCarthy getting he's now going to be calling plays for the Dallas Cowboys going into next season. Here's my concern. Yes, he has a Super Bowl ring. Yes, he had Aaron Rodgers, and they had a successful offense. Here's the problem I have, though. There is a reason why he was not coaching for about a year or so. And it was because Aaron Rodgers even criticized um, Mike McCarthy for this on his offense, was that he wasn't up to the new time. You know, he wasn't caught up to how the game is now. He was still kind of fixated on how the NFL used to work. And I think that's kind of the problem that I'm going to have with it, is that I'm scared he's going to try to revert to how he tried to run the offense in Green Bay, but we don't have an Aaron Rodgers playing for the Dallas Cowboys. We don't. And Ezekiel Elliott's not getting any younger, and who knows what's going to happen with Tony Pollard because of free agency. We don't know what's going to happen to Dalton Schultz because of free agency. We don't know where Terrence Steele's going to go because of free agency. We're probably going to lose some uh, Leighton Van Der Esch because we don't know where he's going in free agency. Uh, for deep, I mean, that's a defensive uh, thing, but you're kind of getting the point I'm making here is that free, there's a lot of free agents on this team, and they're all about to go. T.Y. Hilton's another good one. He's about to leave. And him kind of not being up to date with how the game goes is kind of a concern because his last time, uh, I believe his last year with the Packers, they did not play well. And Aaron Rod- I believe it was reported that Aaron Rodgers even had to change uh, play calls. He had to call audibles because he didn't like what McCarthy was calling. And that's concerning, and even though Aaron Rodgers loves to complain about every little thing in Green Bay, that's still a concern because there was a reason why he got replaced by Matt LaFleur because the organization saw that, that their offense wasn't doing as well anymore because they're not keeping up with how it's how the NFL is kind of growing and what it's becoming now. You know, it's not as it used to be where you can be a strong run, you know, have a strong running back and just gun it all the time, you know, and he doesn't have a future a future Hall of Famer like Aaron Rodgers on the team. He has to work with what he has. And that's going to be the concern is that he's not going to keep that in mind of that he doesn't have Aaron Rodgers. He has Dak Prescott. He does not have Eddie Lacy. Uh, he has Ezekiel Elliott, who isn't like Eddie Lacy, but he's also not as young as he used to be. We don't know if we're getting Tony Pollard back. And that's going to be the kind of thing that Mike McCarthy is going to have to think about going into the uh, going into OTAs and, and in, in the training camp. As well as, like, he didn't have to worry about offensive play call when Kevin Moore was there. Now he has to worry about that on top of being a, you know, on top of doing head coaching duties, which is already a difficult part for him, too, because we've, there have been times where he should have challenged plays and he didn't challenge them. There were times where he should have called the timeout earlier and he did not. There were times where he just didn't have good time management. And now you have to add on calling the offensive plays is a big concern for. Mike McCarthy as a head coach, and if we don't, and if we don't do well on offense next season, like Dak Prescott on the offense severely declines, we're we're gonna point the finger at Mike McCarthy. There's and probably Dak Prescott because he's gonna have like one more year left on that contract before he goes anywhere. You know, I believe after next season we could probably find a way to trade him, but we're gonna have to see with Mike McCarthy. But I'm I'm a little concerned with Mike McCarthy now gonna be calling the plays just because. 
you know, they're, like he's like I said, he was replaced by Matt LaFleur. And Aaron Rodgers criticized his play calling. He had to change the plays and call audibles in the huddle. And I believe there were times where Mike McCarthy didn't even let him call audibles because he was, he was tired of Aaron Rodgers changing the plays. And that's what my concern is. Because if your quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, who, like I said, he big diva. I mean, he'll complain about anything about the Green Bay organization. It's a surprise. They're not, uh, they're not done with him yet. And... It, it's you know kind of that attitude of it it's kind of a concern going into dallas and he's not he's very out he has a very outdated uh offense that he wants to run and we don't we don't have those you know we don't really have time to try to make these new adjustments especially going into next season and especially how hard the season's going to probably be going into next season for the dallas cowboys so we'll have to see what's going to work i don't know if we can get any better than probably one of the top offenses we probably can if we go back to back years on one of the top offenses in the league but I just don't see it. Not with Mike McCarthy calling the plays. Not with. I don't think he's going to be as creative as Kellen Moore was. I think he's going to try to make Dak Prescott a quarterback that he's not, because he's not Aaron Rodgers. He's you know he's a little bit more mobile than Aaron Rodgers. He can definitely work outside the pocket. Um, you know he can do the rollouts, uh, speed options, and just Aaron. You know, and Aaron obviously that wasn't Aaron as a quarterback. He did have some speed and he was able to run, but he didn't rely on his legs. And maybe it's not as much as Kellen Moore did with. Dak Prescott and and kind of how Dak is reliant on his legs from time to time, but it's 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 going to be a little bit of a concern and it's going to be a little bit of a it's going to be a new kind of a new thing for everybody. Everyone's going to have to get on board with. So unless the Dallas Cowboys, as of right now, they have not hired anybody for offensive coordinator and they're more likely leading towards Mike McCarthy calling the plays. But if it if the if the season doesn't go well and that offense doesn't work, Mike McCarthy's getting fired. I think this is gonna that's going to be the that's going to be the determination if we're going to get fired and if Mike McCarthy gets fired and what Jerry Jones is going to do going into next year. And Dak, like I said, Dak Prescott's not going anywhere. We're going to have to work with Dak and we'll, we're going to have to wait and see what goes on there. Now, next topic, the games, the NFC championship and the AFC championship were played this past weekend and your two Super Bowl teams, the Philadelphia Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs are heading to the Super Bowl. They're heading to Arizona to face off for that uh, for that Lombardi Trophy. First up, the 49ers and the Eagles. The Eagles would pull off the win 31-7. to Now, I don't have a lot of stats for the 49ers offense because they had no quarterback. I think that was, that was kind of the heartbreaker of that game. I know there was a lot of, I believe it was on Speak, uh, the show Joy Taylor and Emmanuel Acho run. And they, you know, Emmanuel Acho kind of explained that he was upset that that's how the game went, or not, not Emmanuel Acho, LaShawn McCoy. He was, uh, he accepted the win, but it was the way the way it happened. They didn't have their, you know, they didn't have, they weren't a hundred percent after Brock Purdy got hurt. I believe he tore his UCL in his elbow, so he wasn't even able to make throws. He was barely able to do handoffs. And all I have to say to that is that the Philadelphia Eagles did their job. You know, they got to Brock Purdy. They were able to stop him. It's unfortunate that he got hurt. Don't get me wrong. That was very unfortunate and that was very heartbreaking, you know, for a young quarterback to get injured, you know, not even, you know, not even get a chance to fully play in the NFC Championship. And it does, you know, that does suck as, you know, for 49ers fans and definitely for Brock Purdy. But I mean, that's how the NFL goes. You know, you're not 100% guaranteed to be, you know, not get injured in football. It's, it's how the sport works. I've, and the Philadelphia Eagles defense did their job. They stopped the you know the quarterback. You know he got hurt sadly. You know and then the next quarterback came in and I believe Jacob Johnson was his name, um, and he got hurt. So they were kind of running out of quarterbacks. And I believe Christian McCaffrey was like the emergency 
emergency quarterback because Jimmy Garoppolo was still hurt, Trey Lance was out, and they were they were running out of debt. And that's just all what happened with the 49ers. They didn't have a quarterback. They didn't have the captain to steer the ship. So they were only doing running plays. And I, obviously, after a while, they're going to get stopped. And that's exactly what happened. So the Philadelphia Eagles did their job on defense. However, though, however, offense did not look good. No matter the scoreboard. I did see the scoreboard. I did see 31-7. to 31 to 7. They scored, I think, 21 points in the first quarter, but only 10 in the second half. This was Jalen Hurts' stats uh, passing. He was 15 for 24 and 142 yards, I believe. And no touchdowns on the through the air. As you can see in that game, that defense for the 49ers stepped up whenever Brock Purdy went out. They were making sure that the Philadelphia Eagles offense or Jalen Hurts was not going to cook them. And that's exactly what happened. Barring the first drive, the first drive was bad for the 49ers defense because they got trampled on. But after that, the Philadelphia Eagles were struggling. To score there were times you know obviously 31 points doesn't really examine struggling but if you kind of see throughout the game that that offense had to punt a lot Jalen Hurts was barely moving the ball through the air now running now the running game was what I believe defeated the 49er uh, the 49er defense because after a while they got tired for constantly going out there because they didn't have an offense that could move the ball anymore because Brock Purdy got hurt Josh uh I think Jacob Johnson well he got hurt Christian McCaffrey was you know, the third string quarterback and they're possibly going to start running wildcat formations with him and then, you know, figure it out from there. And all they had were running plays because Brock Purdy couldn't throw the ball. So everybody, like 90% of that offensive team got out, you know, was eliminated because Brock Purdy couldn't throw anymore. And then Johnson had a head injury. So the 49er defense had to step up and they did. I believe they did. It's just that after a while you get tired you know, constantly going out there trying to stop this very fast-paced uh, offense, and I believe they they got a they got a, they got away with a call whenever Devontae Adams made that crazy one-hand catch, and then um, this was kind of cool. So for those of you watching this on YouTube, you can see what I mean and what I mean by what he did. But if you're on Amazon Music or Spotify listening to this episode, I'm clapping my fists together, and that was kind of like their, you know, kind of their telltale sign of hey. I didn't, I may not have catch, caught the ball. Let's speed up the process and let's get a playoff. And I believe that's pretty smart for an organization to have or a team to have that kind of that you know that signal of hey, I don't, I'm not, I'm uncertain. Let's go. Let's rush to the line before they called anything. Now he did get away with it because they never reviewed it, nor did they never call anything. And then after the, I believe after the commercial break, after they went through two plays, they saw that he did not catch the ball. And that that was pretty uh, smart on Nick Sirianni's uh, part in that offense, just creating that kind of system. And I'm sure there's a lot of organizations that have that kind of system of, you know, like, hey, I don't know, let's go. A lot of them just do this, like, let's go, let's go, let's go, or like, hurry up or something like that. But that was, uh, you know, clapping of the knuckles or the hands is a pretty smart way to do it without kind of giving the ref like a telltale sign of the review it. Because I, I mean, personally, if I if I was a ref and I saw you know a finger twirling in the air you know, from a receiver telling the offense, like, you know, to, to hurry up, you know, that, that may indicate he may have not caught the ball, but doing, you know, clapping of the knuckles, you know, to try, you know, telling the offense, Hey, I don't know if I caught it or not, or I'm undetermined. Um, that was a good way to do it by Devontae, uh, Devontae Smith and that Philadelphia offense. That was pretty smart of them. And that's a pretty, you know, that's a pretty good way to kind of, you know, not tell the refs. I think that was kind of like the main reason why is to not inform the referees that, you know, it's possible he didn't catch the ball. So, so kudos to the Philadelphia Eagles. You guys are going to the Super Bowl with Nick Sirianni, first-year coach, and Jalen Hurts, and I'm very excited to see the matchup they're going up against. Now to the next game. This one was a lot. 
the Cincinnati Bengals and the Kansas City Chiefs. The Kansas City Chiefs will pull off the win 23-20. First, I'm going to start with the Kansas City because I have a lot to say about, or I'm sorry, um, I'm going to start off with Cincinnati because there's a lot to say about Cincinnati. Cincinnati, Joe Burrow, 26-41, for 270 yards, 1 TD, and 2 interceptions. That offensive line was struggling with a capital S. They were struggling to hold off the Kansas City defensive uh, defensive front because they were they allowed five sacks to Joe Burrow. And the last time I ever saw him get that beat up was probably in the Super Bowl when they had to go up against Aaron Donald in that defense for the LA Rams because that was brutal. It looked like Joe Burrow did not have enough time to make those decisions or make quick reads or he had to step up and he just and it it just didn't work out well for Cincinnati this time. I know the Cincinnati mayor was you know talking all kinds of smack. The whole city was. Everyone was calling Arrowhead Burrowhead just because he never lost to Kansas City before before this past weekend. And I think a little bit of the hype kind of got to them a little bit as well, just because you know kind of getting like a little bit more arrogant than you know kind of confidence. They got cocky and arrogant, you know, knowing that they haven't that. Kansas City hasn't beaten Cincinnati with Joe Burrow at quarterback. So kind of kind of in that element of that, you know, kind of of that area. And along with that, they were the Kansas City defense also took away the big weapons. P. Ryan and Nixon didn't get over 100 yards rushing. Joe Mixon, I think, didn't even get a lot. I believe he, he got like less than P. Ryan. Jamar Chase didn't get 100 yards receiving. I believe the leading receiver was T. Higgins who wasn't at 100 either. So the Kansas City defense really stepped up in this game because they knew they are going to have to stop Joe Burrow no matter what. They're going to have to stop that Cincinnati offense somehow, some way. And they were just able to apply the pressure. They were able to force, you know, they forced Cincinnati to make bad uh, bad decisions. They forced uh, two interceptions from Joe Burrow. And they, they played a solid game. They just did. I know that Cincinnati started coming back and they kind of made it a game, but they, they did enough. And they they forced Cincinnati to kick kick a field goal or not kick a field goal punt them punt them the ball back to you know set up Patrick Mahomes to get the win. Now I want to talk about this about an incident that happened after the game that was Cincinnati with uh, Joseph uh, Pratt I believe his name or I know it's Pratt. Whenever the video when the video arise uh, from him yelling at Osai uh, about you know the flag that he committed against Patrick Mahomes. You know, yelling at him, why did you touch the quarterback? I think there's a time and a place for that. And I think there's a personnel for that. And that's probably the coach. Because I felt this was I felt so bad about this situation about what happened. So after Asai pushed Patrick Mahomes out of bounds, after you know Patrick already stepped out, they called the flag for unnecessary unnecessary roughness and they got 15 extra yards, so they got a 40 five-yard field goal instead of like a probably a 55 or a 60 yarder and Kansas City won the game and just the camera was on Asai just crying because he knows he cost them the game and then on top of that now his teammates you know getting on his back about it you know he already feels bad about basically costing the game but I don't think he cost him the game he wasn't like 90% of the problem because he wasn't and I think the team needs to understand that he wasn't the I'll, I'll meet people in the middle here I'll meet you in the middle he didn't help the situation when he got the flag, but he was not the main reason why they lost. He didn't set them up to win, I will say that, because of the flag. The flag really hurt Cincinnati, but he did not he was not the reason why. The offense could barely move. Two interceptions from Joe Burrow. Jamar Chase and T. Higgins did not go over hundred yards. That rushing attack only got seventy one yards in total, and P. Ryan had more yards than Joe Mixon. 
their defense was doing enough to stop Patrick Mahomes, but they also weren't, but they, you know, when it came down to it, they weren't able to stop him. I think Acho was the one that pointed this out that um, Isaiah Pacheco, the running back for Kansas City, ran over Pratt during the run in the last four minutes. And then uh, showing that Asai, uh, Asai was the one forcing Patrick Mahomes to make the quick decision. Step, you know, he had to go into the pocket. He was getting sacks. So I believe he was the leading tackler for the Cincinnati Bengals. So I think we just have to keep that in mind a little bit, knowing that, you know, it was a bad play. It was a it was a mistake that he made, and that's the end of it. But I wouldn't go, you know, ostracizing him, making him the problem, because he wasn't. He wasn't the reason why they lost. He did not help the situation, but he did, was not the reason why they lost. The reason why they lost is because that offense was not able to produce at a high level that they usually did. After beating the Ravens, coming off a big win against Josh Allen, the Buffalo Bills, they he didn't Joe Burrow didn't produce in this game, and it happens. You know, that offensive line looked like the offensive line from last year's Super Bowl where they were barely able to protect Joe Burrow, which is very ironic because they spent a lot of money and a lot of time building that offensive line to protect Joe Burrow and just to let him down the AFC Championship was huge. So I'm going to end on that note. Don't blame Asai on Twitter or Instagram. It, it wasn't his fault. It wasn't. He wasn't the main reason why they lost that game. The offense didn't produce enough. I think his mistake kind of cost you know was not did not help the situation and did not help them win the game but it also wasn't the it wasn't the main reason why they lost now i'm gonna go move over to kansas city patrick mahomes 29 for 43 326 yards and two touchdowns now he obviously had a big game on one foot mind you that was pretty impressive he was able to you know outperform joe burrow on a bad foot but like I said, the defense came up big. The defense is the one to highlight here. We knew Patrick Mahomes was going to have a great game. He always has great games. The defense stepped up, forced five, you know, they got five sacks at first two and forced two interceptions from Joe Burrow. And that that just solidified it. That was able to, you know, they were able to help their quarterback get, you know, get the game to win. And I think after this game, this kind of solidifies that Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL. Just because I believe it was Skip Bayless saying that Joe Burrow is better, and Joe Burrow didn't come up big in this game. And I think Patrick Mahomes, I, I personally think Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL. It's him, Joe, and Josh, and then uh, whoever else is there. But those are probably my top three right now. And and he, he you know, he just came up bigger in, in the when the moment was needed. Joe Burrow had a chance to win the game. They got the ball back before before Kansas City got the last drive. They had a chance, so it wasn't like. It wasn't like they were out. It wasn't like they were kind of in a you know in a in a precarious position where they had to come back big like the Jacksonville Jaguars had to when they were down twenty seven points. They didn't have to do that. They were able to pull off the win, and was it you know they had a chance to go kick the field goal and they just they didn't come up. The offensive line didn't do good. Joe Burrow did not have a good game. Jamar Chase didn't have as spectacular of a game. Joe Mixon did not have a good game. That whole you know that team just didn't have it. Just didn't. I just didn't have a good game. And, you know, Asai's uh, flag definitely helped, you know, position Kansas City and kind of, like, close the door on the game. But the defense for Kansas City is the one to highlight. They're the ones to give all the praise to. And that's that's who should be really getting it. Now, I will say, though, the big thing that kind of highlighted me in the game was not the game itself, but what happened afterwards whenever Travis Kelsey, you know, came up and you know, talk to the interviewer, and then he, you know, set, uh, made a comment to the mayor, and I quote, know your role, shut your mouth, you jabroni. I thought that was iconic. That's 
awesome and i thought that was very funny especially since the cincinnati mayor did kind of shoot the first shot in the, in this kind of verbal war between each other and kansas city won you know and he said that Bur- arrowhead's not burrowhead you know and they were able they were able to pull it off and i think travis kelsey was within his right to talk trash and the Cincinnati mayor was kind of the one that started it. So I thought that was iconic. That's probably going to go down as one of his biggest, you know, best sayings ever. And definitely one of the biggest, you know, shut up moments uh, in the NFL, especially in the AFC championship. But on that note, congratulations to the Kansas City Chiefs. They are heading to their third Super Bowl with Patrick Mahomes to face off against the Philadelphia Eagles. That's going to be an incredible matchup. And I will get into more details about that during Super Bowl week. But I'm going to wrap up this podcast episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Remember, this will be on YouTube later today. And on top of that, we are on Spotify and Amazon Music. So if you want to listen to the podcast on the road, download a couple episodes. Or if you want to catch up on other previous episodes, make sure you head over to Amazon Music or Spotify and put in CAV Sports Podcast. Or you can head over to my Instagram and click on the link tree. It will give you all the options. I am on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Amazon, Spotify, YouTube, uh, you name it, I have it. But thank you guys for tuning on this episode. I'll see you next week.